Good morning, my patriot friends. Welcome to My Patriot Brain, the show that creates action potentials of patriotism. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Mather. Today is Monday, November 27th, 2023. As always, I'm coming to you from behind the MPS Behavioral Science Analytics microphone. Thank you for downloading this episode. My Patriot Brain is recorded live and published twice a week every Monday and Thursday morning on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. The show is also available on Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. Follow My Patriot Brain on Spotify and share the show with your friends, your loved ones, your family members, your enemies, and anyone else you can think of who needs inside My Patriot Brain. Go to my website, theconservativesocialpsychologist.com for free content. At my website, you can also find my book, Implicit Biases in the Unconscious, Liberal Biases, Racial Prejudice, and Politics which is available exclusively at barnesandnoble.com. You can follow me on Locals, uh, Truth Social, and Rumble. I am at CSPsychOK on Truth Social and and Locals. Uh, I am also the conservative social psychologist on Rumble. Uh, You can search search locals.com for my Patriot Brain community, and you can see posts related to the show and engage with each other as listeners. Uh, I post episode previews and other announcements on my Locals page. Uh, From my website, you can click on the link to my Truth Social account where I post articles that are related to the show. Okay, in college football news, uh, AP Top 5 rankings this week. uh, Georgia's number one, followed by Michigan. It had a big win over Ohio State, uh, Washington, Florida State, and Oregon. Uh, This past weekend, uh, past couple weeks since we didn't have a a show last week, uh, number 14 OU, University of Oklahoma, uh, defeated BYU 31-24, and then number 13, OU, last week, uh, defeated TCU 69-45. to uh, Texas Tech uh, defeated University of Central Florida 24-23. to And then this past Thanksgiving Day, uh, number seven-ranked University of Texas defeated the Texas Tech Red Raiders 57-7. to uh, past, let's see, We've missed some Dallas Cowboy games, too. Um, Dallas defeated Carolina Panthers 33-10. to And then on Thanksgiving Day, Dallas... Uh, annihilated the Washington Commanders 45-10. to 10. Uh, For those of you who don't know who the Commanders are, they used to be the Washington Redskins. Now they're called the Commanders. Uh, this coming weekend, uh, Dallas Cowboys um, face the Seattle Seahawks in Dallas. Uh, Dallas is, has an 8-3 and three record. They play at 7.15 Central Time Thursday on Prime Video, which is, I guess, the Amazon Prime channel. Uh, Dallas is a 7-point favorite. Uh, Major League Baseball news, uh, the Oakland Athletics are moving to Las Vegas. Uh, they're going to move in a couple of years after the stadium's done. Uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. of the Atlanta Braves was named the National League Most Valuable Player. Uh, Soche Otani was named the American League Most Valuable Player, even though he was injured for the last part of the season. He he pitches and hits. He's a, an incredible player. And Acuna had a record year, too. Uh, Acuna was the first member of the 40-70 club. So when I was a kid, um, the 30-30 club was a big deal. So major league players that were, that were pretty rare that got into 30 home runs and 30 stolen bases in a single season. And then there was the 40-40 club uh, that I think Barry Bonds uh, made it to that um, first. But anyway, big deal, hard to come by, kind of historic. Well, this year, the first time ever, there was a 40-70 club member, 40 home runs and 70 stolen bases in a season. And I would like to point out that nobody is mentioning how those bigger bases that add distance on both ends of the bases and make it easier to steal bases, like I told you when they changed the rule and we're going to start the season, I said you're going to see a lot more stolen bases. Well, that's why you've got the first member of the 40-70 club, um, and then you saw stolen bases up all across Major League Baseball because it's easier to steal when you've got uh, three inches on one end of the base and on one side and three inches on the other. You, you've saved six inches there that you're able to get there that much faster. All those close plays you've seen over the years become you're safe. So it, there's more reason to go. 
it does create a more exciting game. I do like the style of baseball that's being played more this year um, with the bigger bases, but that's not the way to do it, right? Uh, other Major League Baseball news, Ron Washington, um, who was the uh, um, third base coach for the Atlanta Braves, um, has, mo- has got a managing position with the Los Angeles Angels. So it's great to see Wash uh, land with another managing job. He was the Texas Rangers manager for a number of years, led him to two World Series. Uh, he had some unfortunate uh, drug relapse, and they fired him. Uh, and he's been one of the best uh, infield coaches and base coaches in Major League Baseball for many years. And he's had that one shot to manage with the Rangers. He's getting another shot. As a Rangers fan, I'm I'm, I'm concerned because he's within the division now. So I don't want to see him leading the Angels to, to defeating the Rangers. But um, it's great to see him. He's a good guy. He was well-liked. Uh, he, he's It's good to see him managing again. Uh, you're watching some women's basketball on ESPN Plus recently. I, I've, I've noticed a pattern that I don't see in other sports, and I figured this out finally. Uh, the broadcasters call the players by their first name a lot. Uh, it's just kind of, I don't know that it's not inappropriate, right? It's not disrespectful because they're women. Uh, it seems to be there's just a whole different culture around women's sports. Uh, and so that, that seems to be part of it is that people are more kind of drawn to the players. It's more like more approachable the players are. And I think that's part of what the broadcasters um, add that, that element to the game um, by calling the players by their first name. Um, because it's also probably a community where there's not a, not a lot of fans uh, in the stands a lot of times. Uh, and there's a, a hardcore group that follows the teams around and the broadcasters become part of that and, and get to know the players on a first name basis uh, and, and use them that way. Anyway, just di- just another one of those differences I found between men and women's sports. Uh, okay, so we're going to get into some news items today, and then we've got a study to talk about. Uh, so this one was, I posted on my Truth Social by Sarah Arnold, November 24th, 2023. So- social media blast Biden campaign after ridiculous guide on how to handle crazy MAGA nonsense. And so um, what the Biden campaign did was uh, they released a some information and a thread, I guess, on, on Twitter um, on how to handle your, your family members with their crazy MAGA nonsense at Thanksgiving. Uh, and it was pretty well um, shot down by a lot of people on social media. Um, but anyway, that's, that's what the Biden campaign is up to, is, is figuring out how you can propagandize your Thanksgiving uh, with your woke BS. Okay, another article I posted on my Truth Social. This one's out of National Review by Abigail Anthony, November 13th, 2023. Over 16,000 signed petition condemning non-binary and transgender extravaganza, uh, Macy's Parade. So the Thanksgiving Parade is kind of a sore spot for me because of the way that's been handled over the years. But I'll, I'll give you the news part first. Uh, so but there was a petition by an organization called One Million Moms, which is a division of the American Family Association. And so they had a petition... Um, it was mostly they had complaints over a few people that they claimed to be non-binary that were going to perform at it. Um, they, they, they cited a lot of Broadway connections, which is really not a surprise if, if you've watched the, uh, the Macy's parade over the course of your lifetime. Um, what was fascinating to me, I, so the article wasn't that compelling on the, on the Macy's um, wokeness stuff, on, on the points of the article and the points of the um, people interviewed from One Million Moms. Um, the, the, so the I watched the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade this year. Uh, I have not watched it very much the last few years. I my kids and I like to always watch that tradition. I grew up watching it. We kind of watch it as a family. Uh, we did that in our family now uh, with our, our kids for a while. Um, but it was, I guess, in the last two or three years, it has become unwatchable. 
and so we'll sit down with it and we'll watch it for about, you know, until there's some kind of crazy, super woke LGBTQ pushing uh, thing that comes out on it. And then it gets kind of shut down. Uh, and so my kids have not watched it for the last couple of years because they we can't get very far before dad shuts it down. Um, anyway, but this year I watched it and I watched, I mean, basically the whole thing was pretty unwoke. Uh, my son said he caught a, a pro-Palestine flag or something in the background of one of the things. Uh, and then they've always had Broadway performances. So I don't feel like you can really fault Broadway for just <clears throat> being the weird Broadway people that they are. So, being the weird Broadway people that they are, uh, it's so, you know, as long as they're not overtly trying to convert your children or, or push stuff on you, just them being them uh, to me is not a, is, is doesn't really matter. Um, but anyway, it was a pretty family friendly event uh, this time. Uh, so we'll go back to that national review article. Uh, I read the comments through there and the comments were extremely woke, um, which was not surprising given what the National Review's readership has turned into more recently. And that's not every reader, but that's uh, a lot of the readership because of the authors in, at the National Review. Uh, they became very anti-Trump, uh, very anti-MAGA, right? What if that's really a thing? Um, and anyway, so, but the comments on the, of the National Review um, readers were extremely woke. And that's a shame to see what's happened to the National Review in the past years, because that was something that I, I read a lot. Um, up until about 2016, when they took a really hard turn with their authors, um, leading into the election. But then it was the, the last straw was after Trump got elected, uh, and then they became very anti-Trump, um, very woke. Um, but anyway, so the uh, but the parade was pretty good. Um, I enjoyed the parade. Um, whole family enjoyed the parade. Um, there were no real problems. Uh, watching the parade, though, at one point, uh, and I can't remember which college it was. Um, one of the uh, historically black universities uh, had their band there. And I was explaining to my daughter when she was, I was like, Hey, this is going to be really good. And I was trying to find a way to explain how the historically black colleges and universities have uh, a different level of, you know, enthusiasm for their band programs. Uh, and I was trying to find a way to, to do that without sounding racist in the process of doing it. Uh, and it's very, it's, it's difficult because we are living in a world now where it's hard to celebrate you know, positive cultural differences without sounding racist. Uh, and, and that's a shame because, you know, I, I know people who, who've, whose children have played in um, some of those bands. It's a big deal, right? They have battles of the bands. They have uh, extraordinarily um, powerful halftime shows and, and other things that they do. Uh, it's, it's, it's really pretty cool to watch those bands do their thing. Um, anyway, so it's, it's, it's unfortunate that it's hard to celebrate cultural differences without sounding racist, I guess. Uh, it reminds me of Patricia Devine's 1989 study on stereotypes. The first study she did um, captured the um, components of the African-American stereotype, and one of them was, um, you know, musical was part of that. It, there were positive characteristics of that stereotype as well. And where those become problematic is if, you know, if you're in a particular category and there's a positive characteristic that goes with it, and you don't fit that, then there's expectations levied on you uh, that are kind of unfair to you as an individual. That's the problem with it. Um, but there are, in fact, positive components of the stereotype for African-Americans. And it's a shame that we can't always talk about those, um, you know, positive cultural differences um, without sounding racist. Okay, that's enough on the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Um, okay, so another article posted on my town hall um, by Katie Pavlich. 
November 23rd, 2023 in, in Town Hall, uh, posted on my Truth Social. Uh, Mossad has been given instructions to hunt down Hamas leaders living in luxury. And so Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, Netanyahu uh, ordered Israeli intelligence agency Mossad uh, to find Hamas leaders that helped direct the attacks uh, about a month or so ago. Um, and they directed these from luxury hotels in Qatar. And so he's instructed his um, highly trained uh, special forces to go in and find them and kill them. A House Ethics Committee, there's another article I posted on, on my Truth Social out of Town Hall by Rebecca Downs, November 22nd, 2023. House Ethics Committee makes decision regarding Jamal Brown or Jamal Bowman uh, pulling fire alarm. Uh, so on September 30th, Jamal Bowman, who's a representative in the House, House of Representatives, he's a federal congressman. Uh, he's part of the, uh, um, the woke squad. Anyway, he, he pulled a fire alarm, um, presumably because he was trying to buy more time for the Democrats to look over the, the thing they were going to vote on having to do with the government shutdown. Uh, it did, in fact, delay the vote, which is a crime. Uh, he pled guilty in D.C. court. Uh, the Department of Justice declined to charge him for obstructing an official proceeding, which is a crime, which he committed. Uh, and then uh, the House Ethics Committee voted against opening an investigation on him, which would have, I guess, have ultimately led to the Department of Justice charging him. Um, the article is interesting. The article also show, uh, shares a lot of highlights on how extremist Bowman is and his rhetoric and everything he said. Uh, he's pretty defiant about all this, and he's going to get away with it, so why not be? Okay, so Jamal Bowman, everything that's wrong with the United States. Uh, okay, I I retruthed, right? If you're on truth, it's not a retweet or whatever. It's a, which I guess on Twitter should be a re-X now. I don't know what they are. Um, but I retruthed uh, Laura Trump's, um, one of her truths, which is where she posted something on her, on Truth Social. Um, but she said, no surprise here, suppression of my newest acoustic single, I Won't Back Down, has, has already begun. Uh, the single is called I Won't Back Down. And she said, Spotify hasn't yet approved it for reasons they cannot explain, but you can find it everywhere else thanks to everyone who has al already streamed and downloaded. So I posted her post on my Truth Social. Um, you know, it, it's conservatives are quite sensitive to uh, the censorship that we deal with, right? The shadow banning, everything else. I've dealt with it across lots of different platforms. Uh, I will say this. Okay, first of all, I'll say this. You know, I believe Laura Trump or whatever, what she says about this, because we see this kind of stuff all the time. I will say this though. Also, Spotify has been really good to me. Uh, my stuff is promoted out there. I, I, it's brought a lot of listeners to me that would have never found me if it hadn't been for Spotify. They're not hiding my stuff. It comes up in search engines. It comes up on its own in different things. I, I can see where people find the show from. Uh, Spotify has been really good to me. Uh, and as a conservative with uh, a little bit of an offbeat show. I mean, I'm, I'm not in tune with the rest of the scientists. I'm doing uh, a show on science and politics from a conservative Christian perspective. And that's everything that has gotten me censored a lot of other places. Spotify has been fantastic for me and all my listeners. So uh, that's not meant to be a promotion of Spotify. That's just kind of a, you know, of all the places I've been shadow banned on, whether that's, uh, you know, YouTube or Twitter or Facebook or, you know, a whole host of other places. Um, psychology today, all the other places I've been censored and shadow banned on and, and everything else. Um, Spotify is one of the few that has been really good at promoting my stuff. Uh, so all you other conservatives out there, if you're thinking about, you know, hosting a show someplace, uh, Spotify is a pretty good place to do it. 
Uh, okay, so another article on this one I posted on my Truth Social. It's from PJ Media by Stephen Cruiser, uh, November 20th, 2023. Uh, the morning briefing, uh, the J6 daddy issues fascists are terrified. They're about to be exposed. Uh, and it's really discussing uh, Speaker Mike Johnson releasing the 44,000 hours of video from Capitol Hill security um, from the J6 event and how that's going to, um, how liberals are nervous that everything's going to fall apart as far as them being exposed for uh, the silly hearings, the extra silly impeachment, which was extra silly impeachment number two uh, for Donald Trump. Uh, and uh, of course, you know, everything else has gone with that narrative. Well, I'm not, I don't think that's going to happen. I do think that stuff needs to be released and we all need to see it, but we know that the, the mainstream media won't touch it. So it doesn't matter. And all of the people that are watching or listening to or consuming in some way, all of the mainstream media information, um, will never hear anything about it. They, they just, everything else, right? They're lied to anyway. So they're just going to keep lying to them. Uh, Democrats have a good thing going. They just, they gaslight everybody and, and then, and accuse the Republicans of gaslighting. And it seems to be working for them in a lot of ways. Now, that's the problem with, well, I don't want to say Republicans are truthful because we know which those, those guys and girls that are representing us uh, up on Capitol Hill, uh, are, uh, Republicans, I, you know, some of them are really good people. I, in general, it does feel like they lie a lot too. Um, so anyway, I don't want to say that the truth is on our side because the people who are representing us, um, it's hit or miss on how truthful they are, whether they're Republicans or Democrats. Um, I do know of a lot of, you know, the Oklahoma delegation, uh, I feel pretty confident that they're not lying to us. Uh, they're pretty good people. And, and it may be that in other jurisdictions, you find that same thing. Um, okay, another article. Uh, this one posted, I posted on my Truth Social from Blaze Media. Uh, Dave Urbanski, November 17th, 2023. Dave Urbanski is the author. Uh, Gun-toting LA, uh, as in Los Angeles. Uh, homeowner who opened fire on intruders says his concealed carry permit was just revoked. And so it's pretty powerful footage if you see what happened. He's, he's walking. I think he went out to get food. He's walking back into his family, his wife, and his baby daughter. Uh, he's, he's getting ready to walk in the house, and a guy, like, runs out of the bushes from – he's in a gated – he's got a gated home. There's a wall around it and a gate, um, which is fairly common in a lot of places in Los Angeles. Uh, even if you're not affluent, it's fairly common in a lot of places to have a, a wall around your house uh, in L.A. And so for, because of stuff like this. Anyway, the guy runs up behind him and holds a gun to him, and he turns around with his gun and shoots the guy. The guy runs off. Um, anyway, he uh, so he says he lost his, his conceal and carry permit because of the way he talked to the police officers, I guess he says, that, that, that came to investigate. Uh, again, there's surveillance footage. You can see what happened. Um, it was like 7.30 p.m., um, but it was behind the gate of private property, and it, a license for a firearm in Los Angeles is apparently not needed on private property like that. And so he actually didn't need a conceal and carry permit at all to have his gun there. He needed it when he left the house and came back, obviously, but he didn't need it when he was, um, when the evidence is there of him turning around and shooting the guy that was trying to shoot him. Um, so anyway, something to keep an eye on. And another article I posted on my truth social uh, from Fox business by Gret Winner, November 16th, 2023, Arizona based Christian university announces plans to appeal federally imposed $37.7 million fine. So Grand Canyon University, which is an incredibly large university, and you may think of it as being online only, but it's not. They've got a, a campus. They've actually got a really good school. Uh, they've got a, a number of campuses, but the largest one is in the Phoenix area. 
they uh, have a very strong online presence, uh, but they do have an on the, a large on-the-ground campus, too. Anyway, so they were fined for misleading students about the costs of its doctoral programs. Uh, over 98% of students paid more than the advertised costs. Uh, they've got 20 days to request a hearing to appeal that. I don't know the details of all of that, but it's interesting uh, for those of us in higher ed to follow that uh, and see how potentially uh, you know, the uh, misleading advertisement part could come into it. Uh, having worked at a university, I know that uh, the, the communications departments actually spend a lot of time trying to make sure that whatever claims they have will not be construed as misleading based on the data uh, that goes with cost and things like that. So they actually... They're, you know, good universities are quite um, meticulous and, and they are very careful in the way that they craft their messaging so that it's not deceptive. Um, I don't know about Grand Canyon University as far as who, the people they have in their comms department that advertise things like that. Um, but I do know that a school of that size with that reputation, with that, um, those amounts of resources uh, that they put into all that um, probably had people that were paying pretty close attention to that. So interesting to see how that hearing goes. Also, if you've got that much money on the line, there's every bit of reason to believe they have incentive to mislead students too. So uh, I don't know how that'll play out. Uh, another article that I posted on my Truth Social. See, you ought to be looking at my Truth Social account and following it so you can see all the stuff that I post. Uh, November 16th, 2023 by Elizabeth Bulberding from OAN. Uh, Z says China will send more pandas to American zoos. Uh, and so apparently, you know, China, China took pandas from the, D, the Washington, D.C. zoo, uh, I guess about a month ago. Uh, and so they, and there was outrage over it. And so they announced a week later that they're going to send pandas to a whole bunch of American zoos. So they originally said, we're taking our pandas back. And they took their pandas from D.C. Zoo, and people got upset about it and said, you know, if you've been to the D.C. Zoo, you're like, hey, that's really cool. The pandas are there, and there, there are not a lot of places. So then a week later, they changed their mind because there was so much backlash here in the United States. And they said, oh, you know what? We'll, we'll send you a bunch of pandas to your zoos. And it will be, quote, envoys of friendship between the Chinese and American peoples. This, this, is, this, is, this is China's wording, envoys of friendship between Chinese and American people, peoples. And so it's been... Pandas have been a, a symbol of goodwill from the Chinese government for many years that are here. But here's what I think. These, I mean, for them to back off and suddenly say, you know what, we'll send you a bunch of pandas. I'm like, these are going to be Chinese spy pandas, right? They're either going to be trained like Kung Fu Panda or they're going to have some kind of camera in them or some, something's going to be going on. But they're, they're going to be, uh, you know, maybe they ask for a, uh, some type of drone that they can fly over the zoo and then away from the zoo and everywhere else. I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, or maybe they've got some kind of chip inside them that will, you know, hook up to the Wi-Fi and spy on everybody that can go from that Wi-Fi to another. I don't know what they're going to do, but I don't trust the Chinese that are suddenly like, hey, no, it's cool. Here, take a bunch of our pandas that we've always held hostage from you. And even the ones that we took back from you that we're holding hostage, you know, just, hey, it's fine. Take all the pandas. These are Chinese spy pandas. I'm telling you. Okay. So enough about the Chinese spy pandas. Um, so we're going to move to the research study that I talk about every week. So this one's going to be by uh, the authors. The researchers are Tuck Long and Thompson, um, which kind of sounds like a joke. But anyway, Tuck Long and Thompson, 2023, Cognition and Emotion was the journal that their article was published in. Uh, their research article was Social Media's Influence on Momentary Emotion-Based um, on People's Initial Mood. Uh, I don't know if that's right. Maybe I didn't type that out right. 
um, and an experimental design. So they randomly assigned 703 college students to be either in a, in a condition of happy, sad, or neutral mood, and they induced the mood. So uh, happy, they, college students were randomly assigned to be in happy, sad, or neutral mood conditions. Uh, the positive and negative affect, which is emotion, was measured at baseline. So when they first walked into the study, before they got assigned to one of those conditions, they measured positive affect and negative affect, which are measured differently. Uh, so it's not just a continuum of negative to positive. They're two different constructs. Uh, you can't see all my hand gestures as I'm doing this, but I'm, I'm showing you um, as I would do if I were teaching a class. Um, post-mood induction. So they did measure it at baseline. They measured at post-mood induction. So after they've gone in and done the manipulation of creating the mood in the person, and then after social media use. So they had them use social media and they measured their positive and negative affect again after they'd use social media. So the mood induction condition, the mood induction manipulation where they induced their mood was they had them write about either a really happy or really sad memory while listening to happy or sad music. And in the neutral condition, they wouldn't have done any of that. So uh, in the happy condition, they came in, they were told while well, they had this happy music that had been objectively rated as happy by other people, I'm sure, uh, happy music, and then, you know, write about something that made you really happy uh, in your life. And so they do that. And that induces the happy mood. Uh, or they did the same thing for sad with sad music and sad, um, sad memory. So that was the mood induction condition. So they had people use their own social media for three minutes after that. So I come into the study as a one of 703 college students, and I'm assigned to a condition. And maybe I'm assigned to the happy condition. And so then I sit down and they say, okay, they play some music. It's really happy music. And they say, write about a really happy event in your life. And I write about that. And I'm thinking, man, this is awesome. I'm, I'm thinking about something really cool, really happy. I'm in a really good mood. And then they say, okay, now we want you to use your own social media for three minutes. And so I'm getting on and I'm scrolling through all my different accounts. I'm looking at my truth social. I'm looking at my locals, right? I'm, I'm whatever. I'm, I'm going through my social media accounts for three minutes, just scrolling through, looking at other people's stuff. I get to pick what I look at, right? I get to pick whose feed I look at, whose posts I look at. I get to look at, if I want to look at news, I look at whatever I want on my, on my own social media that I have chosen and curated over the years. Now, I'm not looking at my own profile unless I want to. I'm just looking at whatever on those platforms that I want to look at. And so the reason they kept it short to three minutes is because they didn't want the manipulation to wear off when you wrote about that happy memory and you um, listened to the happy music or the sad or whatever. They didn't want that. They, they knew that that was a, a transient state that wasn't going to make you happy forever. So the three minutes of scrolling through social media um, kept you within the confines of that. Um, most likely, as far as research design goes, they probably pilot tested that to see how long that manipulation would stand up so they could keep the social media manipulation within that. Uh, most likely. I don't know if they did or not, but that would be good practice. Uh, what they found was that people in happy moods um, had decreased positive mood. So I, I'm in a happy mood because of the manipulation, and I, I do my social media stuff. And after the social media stuff, I'm less happy. Now, my, my negative emotion is unaffected, but I'm less happy. People in sad moods had decreased negative mood after social media use. So now I come in, let's say I'm in the other condition. I come into the study. I write down a, a, a sad memory while listening to sad music. I'm all sad. I'm looking at my social media for three minutes. And now I have less negative affect after that. But my positive affect is not affected. So basically, 
basically what this did was it dampened emotional experiences, right? So if you're happy, it made you less happy. If, it, if you're sad, it made you less sad. That's what social media did to people. It, it wasn't that if you're happy, it made you sad. It wasn't if you're sad, it made you happy. Like it didn't affect the, the opposite emotion. And we're, we're, we're obviously making this very simple if we're looking at just positive and negative. That's a good starting point to figuring out how this affects emotions. But what it did was it attenuated the emotions you had. It dampened the emotional experience of what you had. Uh, it also reduced it past the baseline position. So if I come in and I'm like, I'm a six out of 10 on happiness, on positive affect, and I do the happy condition and I do my social media, and then I come back out and I'm at a five, like my positive went down. Like I went down below baseline. I started at a six. And then the mood thing made me jump up to maybe a nine um, when I did that. But then after social media stuff, I'm down to a five. So it actually reduced the affect past the baseline position. Anyway, fascinating stuff. So what this shows is, is spending time on social media can dampen your emotional experiences uh, in, in the short term. Okay, to the Patriot Brain Line. Uh, Chris from South Oklahoma City says, regarding Chris from Washington's comments earlier, Personally, I refer to geezers as old people who have the oldness condition, or as people who have the oldness condition. Uh, so that goes back to that language discussion we had about, you know, depressives versus people who have depression. So he says, I refer to geezers as uh, people who have the oldness condition. Um, as somebody who fits into that category, Chris, I'm okay with that. Uh, not, uh, not coincidentally, but not related to this comment, uh, Chris from Washington, other Chris, uh, who Chris from South Oklahoma City was responding to. Chris from Washington says, good show today, Doc. Thanks for answering my question. I suppose you're right that for someone familiar with a particular field, the, the changes to the meaning of words is probably baked in. But for someone not familiar in a given field, someone like me that is researching something that I am not already familiar with, I think it presents a bit more of a problem. Uh, well, Chris from Washington, it definitely does. Uh, I didn't mean to make it sound like uh, anybody should not expect that. Okay, so let, let me tell you this. So every time I said something like, um, you know, well-trained researchers or someone who's responsible or, you know, in the field um, knows to factor this in and understands the history of it, um, there's not a lot of that type of context and nuance that's taught. It's going to depend on who your advisor is. You're not going to get that in the classes very often. Uh, you have to figure some of that stuff out yourself. So uh, the fact that, you know, an expert in an expert's area sees these different things, uh, you know, how language might change over time, how concepts are reconceptualized over time, all of that. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe 60 to 70, maybe 60 to 65% of, of experts in any particular area um, really understand those nuances. So it's not a, I mean, so, but look at me, right? I'm an expert in one area, but any area outside of that, I'm just like you, right? I'm an expert in in two areas, really. I'm an expert in experimental social psychology, and I'm an expert in baseball. And other than that, I'm not really an expert in anything at all. So outside of those things, I'm not very helpful. I'm like everybody else when I go into politics or history or something else. I may have read up on it and understand a lot of things about it, but I'm not an expert in those areas. Uh, and so it definitely does present a problem. Uh, it, it even presents a problem for researchers in the field that may not be wise or especially experienced enough to know what to look for as well. So of course, that creates a problem for all the rest of us that are trying to sort through, um, you know, contextual changes in how a concept is is uh, communicated uh, over the years. So thanks. That was a really good thought that you had. Uh, also from uh, Chris from Washington, 
Uh, also says, it strikes me that folks on the left have embraced the idea that systemic racism and woke ideas are sort of a unifying theory, that this explains everything from crime and violence here in the U.S. to war in Israel. Uh, and that's a, and I'm, I'm going to jump in here into Chris's comment. That's a great observation. I mean, that's, a, that's an incredible observation. Um, and, and I don't know how I haven't really seen that um, on my own. It seems so obvious. And so that's, that's, a, that's a home run concept that you just handed, handed to me here. Uh, he, says, he says, on one level, I get it. It's simple, simplistic even. I think it's wrong, but it seems to hold some appeal for many. What explains that? The truth is, for any thinking person, that our troubles are complex and nuanced, but for some reason, an overly simplified view of the world gets a lot of traction. Uh, okay, so Chris from Washington has always been against uh, the simple answers that people seem to grab onto that are incomplete. Uh, and by that definition, I would be against that too. Uh, so, but okay. So here you've got something that I'm going to, I'm gonna explain the processes. I'm not defending that this is why you, those should be unifying theories or anything like that uh, at all. I'm just explaining how it happened. So it's easy to conceptualize racism, right? And it's easy to conceptualize uh, social injustices. And we'll see an example of that in a little bit that might leave you wanting to come back to this comment and rethinking how this happened uh, when I respond to one uh, a little bit later. Um, but it's easy to conceptualize racism, and the tactic is to kind of push for an external locus of control, right? So internal locus of control is uh, I'm doing something, uh, like I have control of my circumstances. External locus of control is I have no control of my circumstances. And so um, one example of that, even though it's more cognitive-based than that, um, it, it came out of the learned help, helplessness models, which you're putting a dog in a cage and uh, shocking it, and even if it if it's learned that it can't get out, then you can give it a way out and it won't leave. It'll just lay there and whimper and get shocked. Like my dog, when, he, when she was wearing a sweater the other day, was laying around getting shocked and just, just taking it until, until we took the sweater off. Uh, so the dog would just get shocked in the cage and not leave because it had learned, it doesn't matter what I do, I can't get away from it. So that's an example of external locus of control. So think about what I just said. So it's easy to conceptualize racism and, and, and view it as social injustice. And it's and it's fairly easy to then create this framework of an external locus of control. So everything is bad because of X. In this case, it would be racism, right? Uh, racism is bad. Everything's bad. Everything's bad because of that. It's a combination of scapegoating, which is a tactic that's often it was tactic was used by the, uh, the, the Nazis against the Jews, saying the Jews caused all of our problems. And so, you know, in this case, it's the same tactic of scapegoating. It's the racists, the racists, the evil racists are the problem. Uh, and so that's a tactic that, that, and it feeds the element of blame um, into the, that locus of control component. So that, that's how that comes to be uh, a unifying theory, and it's not something else. Uh, you, said, ex, ex, you said it explains everything from crime and violence uh, here in the U.S. to war in Israel. Uh, yeah, it does. It seems to be a unifying theory that it's being used to uh, great success by the progressives uh, in, in trying to promote their agendas. So watch out for that. I think the way we battle that is we talk to each other about this stuff and say, hey, don't you get it when they're doing this? They're trying to do this. And, and, and even if you're just planting seeds for somebody to just watch. Um, I, I've talked to a, um, a liberal who is older and he fancies himself as a progressive, but he's really not. Um, but he's an older, more traditional Democrat liberal that you can have conversations with. And he's ex now extraordinarily discouraged um, by the progressives and everything that's going on in his party. And 
he said to me the other day, he said, he said, Bobby, you know, I, I think I may be a Republican because he calls me Bobby. He didn't call me Doc. Uh, Bobby, you know, I think that, I think that everybody is, is a, he said, I think that I'm a, I think I'm actually a Republican now. And I said, no, you're not. You're still a Democrat. It's just there aren't any Democrats left. I was like, you're absolutely not a Republican, but you are definitely a really moderate uh, Democrat. Uh, anyway, so, but those, those are the people where you have conversations with them about like, you know, those are, com- that's based on conversations I've had over the past five, six years. Uh, and it's like, hey, look for this. When they do this, they're trying to trick you with this. And, you know, he paid attention to some of that stuff. And over time, he got really turned off by a lot of that. Um, that's how you make a difference. Now, I don't know that any one person can make that much of a difference on, you know, converting lots of voters, but uh, a whole bunch of people making small differences can make a big difference. Uh, thank you, uh, Chris from Washington. That was a, a, a great comment that obviously launched me into a, a little bit of a tangent. Uh, another listener, Kurt from Central Oklahoma, sent me uh, a video that I posted on Truth Social uh, from November seventeenth, two thousand twenty-three. Uh, Glenn Beck War Games are Israel, Ukraine, and China connected. Uh, I encourage you to check it out. Uh, I had actually caught part of that segment on the radio when I had turned on the radio and I turned on Brian Kilmeade. And I'm like, oh wait, nope, I'm not falling for it this time. I know that I can listen to Glenn Beck in the ta- in the same time slot. So I flipped over to Glenn Beck and caught the last part of the same segment. But I hadn't heard the first part, so none of it made sense. But it talks about, uh, you know, well, how scary how scary it is to think about uh, people who really want to have war with the U.S. being in the room in all of you know in in Russia and China in those places and having to be talked down from you know making the argument that they should all go to war with us. Uh, anyway, so interesting. Check out that video if you can. It's pretty short maybe 10 minutes. I don't remember how long, but thank you to Kurt for sending me that and, and some other stuff too. Uh, all right. Listener T from Edmond said three things. One, aren't, aren't the Freemasons ritualistically tied to some cult things? I've read a lot about that recently. I agree with the Catholic church. I think Freemasons go against Christianity. Um, okay. So uh, when I was getting initiated in a fraternity, there's um, quasi Masonic Christian overtones to some of the rituals. And so it really is Christian based. And I remember sitting there thinking, well, they don't tell you about this stuff until you're doing it. Uh, what if I was Jewish or something else and I'm, I'm doing this kind of really a Christian ritual? Um, and I also remember that um, one of the Catholic um, my pledge brothers, it was getting initiated too. Uh, actually, no, this was, he was got initiated after me. But one of the, one of the Catholic um, pledges that was about to get initiated said, you know, that this actually is a, you know, kind of goes against what the Catholic Church would would want and that and the Catholic church won't let you be a Mason either. Uh, and so we just had some discussions about this, but it was interesting that to see that this is, is, is has been a longstanding um, philosophy or I guess policy in the Catholic church. Uh, T from Edmund said, there are three things, remember? And T from Edmund said first that one. And the second, um, there are more than two bands named Kane. Remember I said the Kane from my country music station appears to be different from the Kane that's on my beer commercials on TV at sport during sports. Uh, she said, "There's more than two bands named Kane. Uh, the best one is the Christian group. I went to the concert. I went to their concert with a friend. The others don't matter. Uh, okay, so there's a third Kane. And third comment from <laughs> from T from Edmund. Uh, three things, right? Masons, Kane, and then how dare you call a cat smart with a laughing emoji? Uh, so I'm going to say that T is uh, T from Edmund is clearly a dog person, uh, not a cat person. That goes back to the me discussing the the cat looking me in the eye and." and crossing the road. 
Okay, so also T, T from Edmund also sent me this. And so this goes back to, we talked about uh, concepts changing, uh, perspectives changing, that kind of stuff over time in a research area, particularly in the social sciences. And so uh, T from Edmund sent me information on the pygmy that was held in captivity that I discussed. And I, I hadn't looked up for my notes somewhere I have, um, from when I taught, I had information about this. So uh, this was great to get even more information than what I had. Uh, so the name of the pygmy that was held in captivity in the zoo was Oda Benja. Um, and it was in a 1904 exhibit in St. Louis and a 1906 exhibit in the Bronx Zoo. Um, Benja was uh, purchased from Africans. I'm going to read this slowly so you can stop and think about what life was like back then. Uh, Benja was purchased from African slave traders for a pound of salt and a bolt of cloth. So Benja's life was worth a pound of salt and a bolt of cloth. Uh, at the Bronx Zoo, um, Benja was allowed to walk around um, the zoo before exhibition hours so that Benja could go wander the zoo grounds when people weren't there. Um, and there was a whole lot of other stuff that goes with some of this at different times, and I won't get into all of it. But um, uh, Benja was displayed in the monkey house. Uh, he was locked in a cage with an orangutan. Uh, he was given a bow and arrow to try to seem realistic. Um, and Eventually, he started using the bow and arrow to shoot at visitors who made fun of him. Uh, he was sent to the Howard Colored Orphan Asylum in Brooklyn. Uh, they taught him English. His teeth had been sharpened um, when he was in, in Africa um, as part of a ritual that they, I guess they do. So they sharpen all of their teeth. Um, so when they sent him to the Howard Colored Orphan Asylum in Brooklyn, uh, they taught him English, and then they also capped his teeth so that he could maybe get along better in American society. Uh, he tried to go back to Africa, but World War I, World War One broke out, and so there was no no way for him to get back to Africa. And he became depressed, and he committed suicide in 1916. Um, he committed suicide. He built a ceremonial fire. He chipped off the caps from his sharpened teeth and shot himself in the heart with a borrowed pistol. Uh, I think that this probably um, gives you the weight of all of this. I'm going to read the exhibit sign um, from that was. In front of this is not on his tombstone. This is the exhibit sign that was on his uh, exhibit that he was held captive in at the zoo. It says the African pygmy Ota Benja, age 23 years, height 4 feet 11 inches, weight 103 pounds, brought from Kasai River, Congo, Free State, South Central Africa by Dr. Samuel P. Werner, exhibited each afternoon during September. Um, just a, a grotesque sign. Um, that's like every other animal at the zoo, except it was a human being that was held captive in two different zoos, right? St. Louis and then the Bronx Zoo. Um, what's worse, apparently there was a Native American who was um, who was who had experienced kind of the same thing, where he was on display in a zoo in uh, I think California. I haven't looked into that yet. That was a new thing I ran across um, while looking at this stuff. Uh, okay, so. Uh, you know, Oda, so this kind of goes back to what we were talking about uh, with the language stuff, right? So Oda Benja was was a human being, but someone reading science from the time period would have thought that some races were subhuman back then. Uh, sometimes language does not need to be um, does not need to be fixed to reflect real world world problems, and sometimes it does. Um, sometimes it needs to be you know, fixed to reflect reflect the real problems that were really fixed, uh, and the language should follow suit with that. Um, but notice that even in all of that. I said he committed suicide. I didn't say he died by suicide. Uh, so there are some language things uh, that do need to be changed, um, some that don't. Uh, all right. Uh, 
So I figure we should, instead of ending on the suicide of a human held in the zoo, we ought to end on a, on a fun note, right? So Sarah from California, listening to iHeartRadio. Thank you, Sarah, for always listening on iHeart. Uh, Sarah from California says, great show. I read someplace that cats operate at the level of intelligence, understanding of about a three-year-old toddler. Uh, your example of the incredibly smart eye contact making cats make sense. Um, the incredibly smart eye contacting. Yeah, I'm getting this all wrong. Sarah wrote it right. I can't read it. Uh, your example of the incredibly smart eye contact making cats makes sense. Uh, smart enough to make eye contact and look both ways before crossing the street, but not quite able to process their, that there might be another car or danger lurking behind the obvious. Uh, it, at least it makes sense to a crazy cat lady like myself. Uh, and I haven't spent a lot of time around cats. So, um, I mean, I do, I do know they're smart. I, I do think that the research shows that probably three-year-old toddler is about right as far as the things they can get into and do. Uh, and, and so I think their intelligence probably does put them around there. Um, anyway, thank you, Sarah, for sending me a, a great positive note to end the show on. Okay, so voice message me through Spotify for podcasters, engage with the show through Truth Social or, and Locals, or email me at the email address listed on my website, theconservativesocialpsychologist.com. Independent podcasts thrive with private investments that offset the time and financial costs of equipment, software writing, producing, editing, and on-air talent. Please consider supporting My Patriot Brain with a small monthly donation. You can use the support button on the Spotify for Podcasters page or the support this podcast URL in the show description on your other listening platforms. Thank you for listening. We're strong together. Now it's time for my closing thoughts. Most of us spend, spend some time on social media. It's important that we know how to best use it to achieve our goals. Whether fulfilling the need for closeness or the need for affiliation, interacting with others is, is an important part of the human psyche. Understanding that time on your own social media will temporarily dampen your emotions is a key concept. That concept will help you have mastery, uh, <laughs> it'll help you have mastery over, over how you interact with social media and how, inter how your social media interacts with your mental health. Till I catch you next time, play hard and have fun. Listen to My Patriot Brain on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. Follow me on Truth Social, Locals, and Rumble. Check out my other content at theconservativesocialpsychologist.com.